Welcome to the Wellness Hub Podcast, a show dedicated to uncovering the future of healthy living. Each week, we aim to bring you content that supports your personal health journey through insightful conversations with amazing guests. We explore various topics ranging from healthy eating, technology, fitness, mindfulness, and more. Now let's join our host, Drew Monroe, co-founder and CEO of UpMeals, a Vancouver-based food tech startup on a mission to make healthy meals accessible through technology. Hello and welcome to the Wellness Hub. And as always, we're thrilled to have you with us for yet another edition of Wellness Wednesdays. Every single week, we're hosting amazing guests, having insightful conversations, ranging from entrepreneurship to technology, to health, to wellness, to fitness. And as always, we hope you find these conversations valuable and insightful on your own wellness journey. Tonight, I'm excited to talk to you about a true culinary adventure. Our guest tonight has almost 20 years of experience working in countless kitchens and is nothing short of an expert when it comes to local, sustainable cuisine. Tonight, he's here to talk to us about the incredible work he's doing as the chef at the University of British Columbia Student Housing. He'll be giving us insights into what it's like to feed thousands of hungry students every day and the challenge of creating scalable and accessible food that doesn't skimp on quality. And beyond his remarkable culinary exploits. Our guest tonight, he's also a passionate advocate of mental health awareness, particularly as it relates to the hospitality industry. We'll talk about his incredible work with Mind the Bar and how he's working to create space and resources for those struggling with mental health. I expect tonight's conversation to be nothing short of fascinating with deep insights on what it's like to run a mega scaled operation, the value of passion in your work, how to explore our beautiful province like a true adventure, and why the conversation around mental health is so important and pressing today. As we discuss these important topics, a reminder, please comment with your questions on Facebook, on YouTube, on Instagram, wherever you're watching. We will be answering audience questions all throughout the show tonight. So without further ado, please welcome our special guest this evening, the chef at the University of British Columbia Student Housing, Johnny Bridge. Johnny, welcome to the Wellness Hub. Oh, thank you, Drew. Thank you so much. That was a very, very kind uh, introduction. I appreciate it greatly. It's, uh, it's nice to be here. My pleasure. And so I, I want to jump right in, Johnny. As someone who is so clearly has such a deep passion for food, can, can you recall uh, a moment where that became just more than fuel for your body? It was something that you wanted to make a career out of. Oh, you know what? I, I really think that I didn't want to make a career of it as a as a young cook. Um, and I was doing everything within my power to avoid that. But um, by grace of a very, uh, very nurturing mother uh, and uh, and some and some pretty uh, strong words by Anthony Bourdain. Um, mm. It was definitely by age 17. I've been working in restaurants for a year and a half or so. And yeah, my mother really thought that I was uh, enjoying myself in the job, which was a first. Uh, and Kitchen Confidential made me feel like it was it was the place to be. Whether that was through true, you know, growth as a culinarian, or whether I just thought it was a bad boy thing to do at seventeen, mm -hmm. for question. But but Anthony Bourdain was was a strong supporting figure in that background. Uh, I mean, and I want to just kind of unpack that a little bit. I mean, I'm a huge Anthony Bourdain fan myself. That's a book, mm -hmm. and I think a lot of chefs connect with. And he he kind of, and I'm paraphrasing here, so please forgive me. But he does he kind of refers to chefs as this kind of collection of of misfits that find a home in a kitchen, you know, and, and they they bond together and they're able to find a purpose. Like, did you resonate? What what particularly resonated with you about his words? Precisely. No, he. Uh, I mean, some of the quotes that we see coming out now, um, you know, since since he's no longer with us, highlight that how he. He always said the kitchen was a place for, 
you know, society's misfits who really didn't have a place anywhere else. And for some reason, they all could harmoniously exist in this in this one profession, um, which is a bit of a crazy place to be, you know, especially especially in high volume um, private sector restaurants. There's this there's kind of a fire going at all hours. Anytime there's there's everything's always going wrong. There's always really high demand um, and really high stress. So something something about all of those really high levels actually calmed me as, as a teenager. Yeah, f- fires going on like literally and figuratively uh, <laughs> yes. in the kitchen. And you know, you've, you've, got, you've got a lot of experience. You've got a lengthy, colorful resume. You've worked in all sorts of kitchens all over the place. In, in your 20, almost 20 years, how have you seen the food industry and the hospitality industry change over that time? Oh, wow. I think that it, that's, a, that's a massive question, Drew. Mm. Um, I think probably the biggest changes that we're seeing are, of course, happening right now. The pandemic has made a, 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 a forced change to our industry, some, some for the negative, some for the positive. Um, we could go over some of the smaller things that I would have thought were a bigger deal when I was younger. But I think the one thing that I've seen shift in the industry that's, that's a positive is just the, the paradigm of, of kind of our attitude towards each other. Um, mm the the tyranny thing you know yelling and screaming and and the difficulties of that are slowly fading into the past and and kindness and supporting our peers is starting to show up in kitchens everywhere that i go um it's really cool for us to be shining light on you know the cost of living in the city um vancouver Mm -hmm. is a a difficult place to live um well i mean it's a it's an incredible place to live but it comes at a really high cost Yeah. yeah um employing cooks uh, becomes increasingly more difficult when they don't have a stable place to live. So I think it's nice that we have now stepped back from day wages um, and you know overtime hours, of, uh, unpaid overtime hours, and are pushing towards supporting each other financially. That's that's a really important building block. Yeah, uh, I agree. And and you know I want to highlight just a couple things you said for for some of the the listeners who might not be familiar with these sort of industry terms. You touched on day wages, which I've always been an advocate against because oh, I think yeah. it's just a way of uh, you know restaurants taking advantage of, of 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 workers. Can you elaborate on what a day wage is and and why we I should can. be against it? That's I mean that's a slippery slope. Uh, day yeah. wage. We'll start off with an explanation of that. A day wage is when an employer says you can work whichever hours you like. You have a job to do. Um, there's going to be two other things in this that, that we'll probably maybe touch on a little bit that often exists in the brigade system. Mm -hmm. The brigade system is how predominantly all of our kitchens work as developed by a fellow named Riscoffier many, many, many years ago. And it involves having a chef, a sous chef, and then all these little tiers of, of military breakdown in the kitchen. Um, that's how our kitchens have run. That's how I grew up in kitchens. However, that brigade system means that you have one job in the kitchen, say myself, I grew up as a saucier. Um, in a day wage system, you show up as a saucier, you have one job. When that station opens, you're responsible for hundred percent of the plates that come off of that station. Everything that happens before that doesn't matter. As long as the job gets done, you get a day wage, you get that can range anywhere from, you know, in Europe, I was getting paid as little as 70 euros a day, uh, in Vancouver, sometimes, um, if you're if if you're if you're looking at the scope, these are days that are fourteen to sixteen. Yes, that's an important part. This is not an eight-hour workday. This is not no, an eight-hour workday, no. right? Yeah, this you're is going an up obscene in the kitchen, amount of work. Yeah, you start your baking in the morning. You know, you're in there five o'clock in the morning, four forty-five in the morning, getting breads proofing, um, and you're not out of there until eleven o'clock at night when everything's done. Um, so the hourly wage in those would be uh, tyrannical. It's just terrible. Mm. 
but those are all kind of multifaceted things. Uh, you also have tipping. Tipping is another thing that can get looked at along with the brigade system and the day wage. Employers can be like, oh, but you'll be making $10 an hour tip in tips, but they're not paying you $10 an hour. You're relying on the, on the kindness of strangers, yes. customers to be doing that. Mm -hmm. so those, those are tricky scenarios that we're happily getting away from. Uh, absolutely. Thank you for explaining that. That was a, a brilliant explanation of, of why that's a bad thing for a lot of young chefs that they get trapped into. And, and again, happy we're moving away from that. And, you know, further to that, you know, what would you say, in your opinion, are some of the major misconceptions that just patrons and diners that go to restaurants have about the life of a chef or what goes on in professional kitchens? Uh, the life of a chef or professional kitchens. Um, Truly, I don't, I don't know what they, they perceive as, as the life as a chef is, but the misconceptions that we come across the most are what we were just speaking of, which is the labor, Yeah. You know, how much it costs to be in there. Um, if you were to uh, think about how much it would cost on a Saturday night to go out and to get four plumbers to take care of you for three hours, yeah. and you're like, oh, you know, that's okay. Plumbers are expensive. Well, now you get six cooks in there on a Saturday night taking care of you. And people people don't see the same value in these two things, which is which is uh, very detrimental to our industry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Same with the value of the labor is the the cost of goods, COGs. So the, how much that product costs to get in the house. Mm -hmm. um, above and beyond inflation, the cost of goods has gone up astronomically. Um, in other industries as well. Look at look at right now. People are talking a lot about lumber. The food industry has been suffering over the past five years, huge, huge impacts of, of, I mean, sustainable seafood has become increasingly more and more difficult to get a hold of. Um, the cost of, of, of irrigation for growing organic vegetables is, is very difficult to, to stabilize. So our vegetable prices have gone through the roof, mm. but people still expect to have the same price of food. Yep. So that's in the yeah. it, it, and it's huge. It's a it's a big consumer piece where there's there's just an expectation that okay, well, steel's gone up, so this building I'm I'm, I'm building is going to be double the price. Mm -hmm. But people aren't willing to pay that going to a restaurant and paying double that price for that 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 fixed menu, right? So really really important piece. And we're going to unpack that a little bit later in our conversation too. I I want to talk about sort of how you you know you were in this for a while and now you've landed in your current role at the University of British Columbia. Tell me a bit about how that came to fruition. Yeah, we've been talking about, you've been bringing that up a lot. Um, okay, so UBC, my role is as a sous chef in the residence dining portfolio mm -hmm. there. Um, UBC is a jurisdiction all into its own. Um, and I landed my role there. I, I mean, I, I again, similar to your question about what made me a chef, it, it was, I, I had resistance to it. I had a friend, um, he had... Uh, he had come from Napa Valley. He was working at French Laundry. Um, mm. So I, I looked up to him very much. He was, he was a good cook. And then he settled into a position at the university for two or three years um, very happily. And I had a couple of questions for him. I'm like, oh, what's going on over there? Oh, that's an interesting choice. To me, it seemed, um, it didn't seem like a lateral movement yeah. or, or, or an upward movement. Uh, and he described the stability that came with that um, and the, freedom to be with his family, to see his daughter, um, uh, which was just kind of becoming a thing uh, in my life. Um, you know, I just fall in love with my now wife. So the mm, stability of that really, really had, had a little bit of, bit of pizzazz to it. So I got in touch with them. Um, University of British Columbia at the time that I sat down with, um, with an executive chef, didn't have a position for me. 
Um, so I just took the only job opening they had, <laughs> which was great. So I, I had the, I had the really, the, the amazing experience to actually take the lowest position available in their kitchens. I, I took a third cook's job, um, mm -hmm. which, which was kind of enjoyable to work my way through. Um, so I opened a little franchise thing for them in that position and then shifted mm -hmm. through various roles to where I am now very quickly, which was, um, which was great to, to kind of get a spectrum of what was going on in this huge beast. And, you know, what is, what is the day-to-day -day life of a, of a UBC chef or someone that works in that operation? I know there's many facets. What does an average day looks like? And, and, and you know, give, give us some context on what it's like behind the scenes there. Um, I'll give you a quick little scope onto what it looks like in residence, maybe prior to pandemic, because I can't tell mm -hmm. you how that's going to be. Sure. Um, we have large residence buildings where predominantly first-year students are dining. Um, it's open to the public. It's open to the uh, general populace of campus. Um, we set up uh, dining rooms that have um, individual concepts in them, um, you know, between eight and 12 concept restaurants existing in one space in a very large, um, imagine it's like a modern cafeteria. You walk up to a, to a station, there's a menu, there's two cooks in front of you. Your cooks are both your cooks and your servers in that scenario. Mm. Just curveball to be training people in um, and then they're operating out of various commissary like spaces in the back um, the volume coming through those spaces is huge something that I'd never experienced before um, thankfully my time coming into UBC was um, was coinciding with uh, a couple of incredible professionals who had had experience with large volumes at places like Rogers Arena. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and those folks had come in and really had a dream to take university food away from hospital food, airplane food, university food, the way it was, and to move it into, um, you know, healthy and sustainable and, um, and desirable food, which, which mm -hmm. I think was an incredible feat. Absolutely. And how, like you referenced earlier, you know, you had a colleague who was at the French laundry and, you know, is, is now craving that. Like how, how telling is that, that somebody who is at, you know, the very top of the profession working in two and three Michelin star restaurants is going, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to take, take kind of a detour and go, so to go a different direction because I'm tired of even in the top of the industry, what, what is happening? Like how telling was that for you to hear that? <laughs> wow. Uh, I mean, let's be kind to of the industry and not even say too much about that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, tr truthfully, if you look at, um, I've never spent any time working for Thomas Keller, um, nor any Michelin starred chef. Uh, however, you can imagine those restaurants exist on a lot of volunteer time. Mm -hmm. um, they exist on a lot of the global recognition and praise and accolades that come from that. Um, they don't pay very well. Mm -hmm. um, they don't afford you to have time in your own life. So the pendulum swings very far that way. Um, and I think anybody coming out of those scenarios, um, people often do that for a while and then they step into having their own operation mm -hmm. because they're, they're on that momentum as well. Mm -hmm. um, however, some people who don't want to do that are probably going to be pushed to go further into the taking better care of themselves, which I think circles back to what you've been asking a little bit about, you know, the industry as a whole, the way it's shifting and how we need to be supporting ourselves better and, and you know, following our own dreams instead of having build someone else's at our expense. Uh, absolutely. That's a very, very important point. And I'm glad you touched that. And even at the very top of, of the industry, and I've been asking a lot of, a lot of big questions, Johnny, I'm going to ask you one more, uh, well, actually maybe, maybe more than one more actually, but one more right now, what, what, in your opinion, what do you think the future of on-campus eating will look like at UBC and other large universities as we start to open up? 
Mm, I think that there is, um, there's a lot of things in motion that I'd touch on, but you know, they're, they're still in motion. Um, things that I can say are that um, a, a unit like UBC will be pushing to provide food for students um, that doesn't travel as far. Uh, food that nutritionally is on a completely different scale than the frozen pre-cooked foods of the 80s and 90s. Um, we're going to be working a lot more with local farming. Uh, UBC has an incredible program with its land and food systems uh, farm that goes on there. Um, working with the local indigenous, you know, um, UBC, you know, it gives the, the acknowledgement, of course, that, that they sit on the ancestral lands of and unceded territories of the Musqueam. Uh, who've been the stewards of that land since you know time immeasurable? We have no idea, um, other than that when we came along, we started to do things wrong. So we want to be giving as much credit and listening um, as astutely as we can to the to the local indigenous to see how we can feed the people on this space the way that they were doing it before. Um, you know, it's it's it just leaves so much room for improvement from the way it was. A decade ago, um, that it just—it just—it's going to be spreading in, in all directions. Up. Amazing, very exciting, and you touched on the the UBC farm, and I think this is really important to yeah. show people how amazing this is. We've actually got a clip. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna show it right now uh, of, of you in the farm. Let's show the clip. Of me, great. My name is Johnny Bridge, and uh, I'm going to be taking over UBC Foodies Instagram for as long as they'll let me, probably about a week. We are on UBC Farm right now. I thought a good way to start to get into this Instagram of, of UBCs is to uh, tell you guys what working for UBC means to me. And UBC Farm is probably one of the most important parts of working in food services at UBC for this shop. Uh, if you look around here, we got kombucha squash, all these delicious butternut squash. Having this kind of produce at your fingertips from a certified organic farm that's like Less than a kilometer away from my kitchen is so valuable to me. That's a, that's amazing. Like I, I even I'm watching that. I was like, you know, uh, that's that's incredible. Just watching you with that, you know, dramatic kabocha squash. This is it. And, and, you know, it was it was just awesome. What, how important is that to you to have those products at your fingertips? Oh, it's completely next level, Drew. I think yeah. I didn't even realize that um, early in my employment in UBC. Um, I, I wasn't aware of how large that farm was and how much produce that they were producing. Um, David Spite, executive chef, pushed us to look deeper into that, to look within to UBC and to see, you know, hey, he set some bars for us to say, hey, you know, maybe let's 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 make a goal of spending X amount, um, which I can say that we did tenfold as soon as we discovered. Can you imagine being a chef and being t being like, hey, you know what? Instead of going to our regular huge conglomerate suppliers and ordering boxes and boxes of these vegetables, can we maybe go to the organic farm next door and and spend your money there? Yeah, it's not it a not a tough rarely, sell. Yeah. Rarely <laughs> have an owner push you to do that. Um, so it was it was a true pleasure, and it really influenced the way that our menus went. Um, you know, and 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 one of the interesting things about cooking in a space like that is our clientele, unlike that of the general public, is living in that space. Um, so that they're, they're they're almost forced to be there. You know, at least once a day. So you need to make sure that you're not pushing them into things that they don't want but you also can be just providing the things that you think that are needed. We're nurturing minds. We're not mm. just, we're not just feeding you burgers and fries. Um, you know, these are, these are the students who are going to be the leaders of the future. Mm. So 
you know, to, to give them what they want. First year students are like, oh, you know, we want bacon and we want macaroni and cheese. Well, I respect that. And there's some, there's some yeah. validity to having comfort food, but having an organic produce farm, yeah. you know, less than a kilometer away provides me the opportunity to just like bring these vegetables into our dining halls and provide to them, even if they don't know what it is to just put it there readily available. It's great. That's, that's fantastic. I mean, there's nothing more exciting than the, to that than being a chef and having that access. I'm, I'm, I'm envious of that. And what an amazing experience. And let's right. talk a little bit about, about yourself. You know, we talked about Anthony Bourdain and this, you know, the, the, the culture and you getting in, I understand you've got a lot of tattoos. Let's, let's talk a little bit about those. <laughs> how, I wonder how many, how many are food related? Do you have any that are inspired by food? Uh, I, oh, tell man. us a little bit about your journey there. It has been a while since somebody asked me that, you know, that there was a, there was a Vancouver foodster video shot on uh, chefs with tattoos and uh, easily a decade ago. Um, and he uh, shot some of those. I've, I mean, I've, I've got fairly covered in tattoos. My mom would be mortified. Um, and uh, I guess they, they end up being food related. You know, my, my right arm and my left leg are just kind of covered in, in sunshine coast uh, things. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's, there's salmon and lingcod and spot prawns and crabs and oysters and mussels and scallops and oh my god um, you know there's a big octopus that covers my left leg um those weren't those weren't aimed to be food originally that's just kind yeah. of where my heart kind of where my heart is so uh, wow they also tattoos i think that you see that that cliche of chefs with tattoos chefs with beards you know all, all that kind of stuff um it, it it really matches what we're around all the time you know if i spend my days on the Sunshine Coast, working at a resort, cleaning 24 sockeye salmon during the season a day, yep. you kind of fall in love with it and it becomes a part of you. And then the next thing you know, it's part of you. That's uh, incredible, that connection there. Yeah, you've earned those tattoos. You've you've processed enough and you've worked with enough. You, you've earned that ink. And I want to talk a little bit about your 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 uh, outdoorsmanship and, and you're an enthusiastic outdoorsman. Talk to me a bit about your, your love of nature. How does that uh, translate to your love of food? Oh, I mean, they're one and the same. Mm -hmm. Without a doubt, um, respecting the ingredients is is uh, a lesson that's been pushed towards me in various spaces. Various spaces. Look at these photos. Is that, is that a chainsaw? Is that, that? Oh my god! That, that would be that would be a chainsaw. That's the safety <laughs> squint going on there. Yeah, I can see um, that. No glasses, but I got it. Yeah, it's um, okay. <laughs> I think the respecting of the ingredients ultimately will bring us back to the land that we're on, wherever we are. Um, you know, the if we're creating a dish, if we're creating a menu. We can only be as good as as the the land that we're on, where the food's coming from. Um, we've really lost touch with that over the past twenty years. I think that we're in so much trouble. Um, one of my one of my major concerns is is the ocean. Um, mm -hmm. There's uh, there's an incredible uh, looming uh, shortage of of the offerings from the ocean, um, and I push in my menus at UBC through help from from my two chefs, I know Brad Vigue and, and David Spite, we pushed to um, to get away from the larger schools of fish to to disperse some of the pressures that are on things like salmon mm. or you know uh, tuna, which is something that we're gonna have trouble sustaining as a as a planet. Mm -hmm. um, so you know the love for nature uh, ultimately is just the love for the product that's on the plate yeah. as well. And you explained that so so beautifully, but I, I think we're going to actually take it to another level. We actually have a clip that I think summarizes you and your love for nature just as well. Let's 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 play the clip, please. Oh, my God. Oh, you guys, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> 
Look like a crazy person. No, it's not crazy. Awesome. You're like the most interesting chef in the world. That's amazing. You're like, I don't even know what's going on there. I, I got to learn that from you someday. Uh, but you know, coming back, coming back to what you talked about with the sustainability and the and, and the oceans and protecting our oceans. Mm -hmm. You know, what what advice would you have for our listeners who you know perhaps want to want to contribute, want to make better choices, but aren't sure where to start? Oh, um, where to start? As a culinarian, you mean as advice for people who want to cook? I think e even just consumers who are looking to go and have seafood for dinner or eat seafood when they're at a restaurant, you know, to make better oh, choices. Yeah. I mean, know where your food comes from is, yeah. is, is a baseline that we've been saying for a long time. Um, um, ask, ask all the questions. You know, if you're going to a restaurant, um, form a relationship with the person serving your food. If you can, be in touch with the people who are in the back of the house doing it. Uh, get mm -hmm. to know um you know where, where the, the kind of the ethics behind the scene are um is is that restaurant that you're going to supporting the product that they're serving you um if the restaurant is exploiting the product that's coming to you you won't be able to eat there for long because that product will no longer be with us mm -hmm. um, and we need to think about the longevity of again the nat the nature that these products are coming from and how valuable that is to us mm -hmm. uh, and and you know, I want to I want to switch gears here for a bit. We've been touching on this uh, a little bit throughout throughout this conversation, but something I know you're passionate about is mental health, and oh, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about your involvement with an organization called Mind the Bar, and you're creating mm -hmm. this space and the resources to support those struggling with mental health, and particularly in the hospitality industry. So, talk to me a little bit about how you got involved and what you're doing with them. Oh, I can easily link that to exactly what we were just talking about. Yeah. Um, and that's the sustainability of the people in our kitchens. Yes. Um, it's been, I mean, my involvement with Mind the Bar predates the pandemic, but like how how much of a spotlight have we put on the uh, the lacking support that we have for each other through through the pandemic? Uh, Mind the Bar is a foundation that exists for, it's a nonprofit foundation that exists for supporting restaurant workers of any kind, uh, front of house, back of house, whatever it is that you do in the restaurant industry through um, issues like, you know, anxiety and depression, um, substance misuse, financial despair, uh, suicide ideation, all of these things that, um, you know, we talked about Anthony Bourdain. Um, <laughs> we, we, we're out there to basically just offer support. Um, and that shows up in the form of an application called LifeWorks. Um, anybody who wants to be a member of Mind the Bar can do so for free. Um, there's a lot of things that come along with that, but the one that I would always speak to people about when they ask about it is LifeWorks, which is this app developed by Morneau Chappelle, which is a large medical uh, company from the, in the US, which offers so much support in, in all of those fields that I just mentioned and more. It's so vast, actually, that even as, uh, as a, the, a chair, as a director with Mind the Bar, I don't even know my way through the entire app. It's, it's wow. an incredible thing. Wow. And, and uh, is, this a, is this an app available for download? People can, can download this if they're looking for help. Is it a form? Where can we find information about this platform? Yeah, of course. Okay. I mean, the, the, the start there is to go to mindthebar.com. Uh, there will be a full walkthrough on our website that, that breaks down the steps of that. Um, how to get yourself a membership. And when you get yourself a membership, it'll say, would you like access to LifeWorks? Um, all of the events that we throw, that's me. Uh, well, not all me this year. There haven't been very many events, as you can tell. Mm -hmm. But all the money that comes from fundraisers goes directly to uh, Morna Chappelle to support us supporting people through that application. Um, the app comes with uh, endless tutorials that go through. Also, uh, Sean Sewell over in Victoria has been doing um, sessions on Mondays live on Instagram. 
uh, going through various steps that this, this app can do support things like um, I, I tuned in for his financial support one and he showed some of the some of the pieces within the app um, that can set you up with uh, you know a, a spreadsheets, uh, banking processes, questions to ask, paths to take financially um, that are pretty next level um, and and really uh, it's difficult to convince people to take the first step into those things. But when you have them at your fingertips like that and you can do it on your own time quietly without having to have any of the uh, human interaction that some people are uncomfortable with, uh, hopefully that opens up the door for people. Wow. Am amazing resource. Um if you're just joining us here tonight, uh, we're here talking with uh, Chef Johnny Bridge, uh, one of the chefs at the UBC Student Housing. Uh, we're talking about mental health in the hospitality industry. We're talking about sustainability. We're talking food and all things in between. Uh, a reminder, if you're watching, if you've just joined us, if you have questions for Johnny, uh, please comment. Uh, please uh, send your comments and your questions through on any of our channels. We will be getting to some audience questions in the show. Um, and, and I want to kind of turn things, you know, a little bit a little bit personal and ask you you've had your own you know sort of mental health journey that you've been on as you've navigated this what are mm -hmm. some of the what are some of the ways that you found that work for you to unwind and practice self-care oh i think that you know you just asked me about mind the bar one of the things that i found a lot of value in is supporting others um mm -hmm. also through uh chef's table society of british columbia i sit as a sustainability chair with them uh, being able to help the industry through Chef's Table Society has given me a lot of support. Um, just kind of having faith that there that there is a you know a light at the end of the tunnel for us all to be to be working towards something. Um, it's easy to get swept up in the doom and gloom of restaurant industry sometimes, whether that be pandemic or even even just the the basis of of it being a very grueling job. Um, so I found a lot of support in helping others. Um, I mean, there's other things uh, as well as like our, our peers. I like to. I like to get together with a couple of of uh, of, of my peers on, and uh, and jump in the ocean as often as possible down here in mm. English Bay. Mm. Sit down, have a coffee, turn the cell phones off, talk about our feelings a little bit, jump in some cold water. Amazing! Oh, that sounds like a good way to unwind as as, as any. I don't, I usually only do that once a year. I got to start for the polar bear swim. I got to start leveling that up, and uh, maybe yeah, I'll, I'll this just... is a tough day to do it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, we've got a question coming in from from YouTube. This is going to be, a, I think, a tough one for you. This says, oh, "What's what's your favorite meal that you've ever prepared at UBC?" My favorite meal that I've ever prepared at UBC. Oh, that is a big one. All um, right. I mean, you, that, that can go two ways. I'll answer. I'll answer it on both of those avenues. Um, my favorite meal that I've been a part of there was a meal that, uh, that we hosted at a long table event on the farm. I think we had 150 people at a long table. Um, and it was, uh, it was with a fellow named Ned Bell, who's currently up mm. in Nevada. Um, and it was part of a large commitment that we made that I made to being the first kind of ocean wise sustainable seafood campus where we just switched all of our seafood to be ocean wise or equivalent. Um, right. we did a large dinner there. Um, I mean, it was a four course meal and I was shucking oysters and smooshing and have a good time, but that's not really my normal MO with, with UBC. Um, favorite meal at UBC, uh, that in, in a regular scope is the meals that I'm serving to the students, mm -hmm. um, to hear first year students, um, come in and, and ask for something and know that you have it for them to know that it's a good choice for them to go for, you know, to, um, to know that like you're creating a meal that's not just going for one table that's coming for dinner but for 
2,500 students who are all going to have that same thing for breakfast out of the many thousands who will be passing through those facilities in the day and knowing that you have mm. that huge impact because mm. there's no job I've ever had where we feed this many people and have the possibilities of impacting that many lives. Incredible. And, and I think our audience is is starting to pick up on this. And I've, I've got another, this is actually, our audience is asking the hard hitting questions here, actually. They should Bring be interviewing you. So, okay, this is another question from YouTube coming in. So it touches on what you just said. As a chef at a university, how do you cater to such a large audience and does it limit your creativity at all? Oh, wow. Yeah, you're, you're wow, it's like, you're so like, someone, someone's going to take my job in the next like few minutes here. Big shoes to fill there, YouTubers. I mean, that's, that's again, like a, a multifaceted question. So it does limit your abilities. Um, I think that I work for two incredibly visionary chefs, Brad Vigue and, and David Spite, who have, who have given us all the tools possible to both meet the needs of the many and to be able to provide the meals that we want. Because when I create a menu, especially when I was new to the job there, you create a menu as of what, you know, the visions that you have and they kind of look at it and go, are you going to be able to serve 11,000 of those? Yeah, yeah. Are you going to be able to a, a, a plate with, you know, 10 touch points? Is that gonna yeah. happen? No. Um, so you have to meet somewhere in the middle. Um, one of the greatest things about, you know, uh, having such a, a big scope of students is you also have big teams. Mm -hmm. So some of our kitchens have, there's a lot of people working in those kitchens at any given time when things are up and running smoothly. Um, there's a, there's a lot of people supporting a lot of students. So it's nice to be able to put a vision out there and to see, you know, 25 people put those things into fruition, you know, almost instantly. Amazing. And, and, We've got another question here from Inst this is uh, going on a different tangent. You might not yeah. want to share this information either, oh, but no, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you anyways, yeah. what's your, what's your favorite fishing spot? Or do I you have a good secret fishing fish spot. favorite uh, fishing spot? Uh, um, I mean, that depends what we're fishing for. My answer for that would be uh, Epsom point, which is on the sunshine coast, just off of Thormanby Island. Oh. Um, or, uh, you know, that's fishing with the fishing rod. Um, I also like to, dive for uni off of um bertha rock which is near mary island also in the strait of georgia uh, on coast salish land those those oh. are two favorite spots diving like free you're free diving for uni off of the coast of british columbia i think yeah. there's gonna there's like kind of an intermediate uh <laughs> fishing spot and then like an expert fishing spot so we'll work yeah, our way up to yeah. the expert spot um uh, Johnny, thank you, thank you so much for uh, for for joining us here. I I, I want to know. I think a lot of our listeners want to learn more about you and and the work you're doing. Uh, where's the best place for them to to do that and look you up? Um, you know, you can look up uh, a couple of places. One would be mindthebar.com that we already spoke of. Um, the other would be Chef's Table um, website. The Chef's Table website is chefstablesociety.com. Mm. Um, both of those sites you can find me uh, or you can always look up ubc.ca and then there's a, a myriad of, of, of things to go through in our food service program there i know they've got some some bios on the chefs myself darren clay david spite brad vague amanda rail um we're pretty easy to find you can always just look me up on instagram at, at johnny's knife for hire Amazing. Well, we've got got a few a few resources to check out. I, I'm sure uh, a lot of our listeners feel the same as I do. That it's just one interview isn't enough to see all the amazing things that you're that you're up to. And uh, I know you're a busy guy with the reopening coming. So I, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to to sit down and hang out with us here for a little bit and answer our questions. Oh, it was a pleasure, Drew. I, I appreciate these. There were some great questions tonight, and sharing with you has been a pleasure.
Thank you so much, Johnny. Take care. Okay, great. Wow. I mean, personally, I, I was inspired to see uh, just how much passion. I, I love talking to passionate people, how much vigor he has for, for the work. I, I feel energized by having these conversations with people like Johnny. You know, as, as someone who has spent uh, my entire career being exposed to all sides of the hospitality industry, I think the conversation that Johnny has started has been, you know, formative in surrounding these conversations about mental health. They're invaluable. And, and truthfully, it's actually becoming more rare to see people emerging from the hospitality industry unscathed uh, that are still energized, motivated, and passionate. I, I think the opposite effect is happening, truthfully. And fewer and fewer young people are entering the hospitality industry. And honestly, can you blame them? There's low pay, demanding hours, a toxic work environment. Young people are smarter. They have more resources and opportunities than at any other time in human history. And the entire culinary industry sort of knew this was coming even before the pandemic. And now re-emerging after a 14 plus month reset, what's changed? The restaurants are still struggling to find staff to show up. Big changes are needed that go just beyond perks and incentives. Uh, it, it starts with consumers. And Johnny touched on this in our interview. Increasing prices that consumers pay allow operators to pay fair wages, offer fair benefits, and make the hospitality industry something that's desirable and it's respected for young people again. This is easier said than done, I know, but a massive shift is required and chefs like Johnny are starting this conversation with steps on what needs to happen next and taking action with the organizations they get involved in. Now, as Johnny mentioned, there are positives. I've seen the hospitality industry grow and evolve over the course of my career too. I'm glad to see that we're moving towards uh, a, a society and a, and a hospitality industry that prioritizes respect, prioritizes kindness, inclusiveness, and basic human decency. But there is much, much more work to be done. I hope that our conversation with Johnny today has invigorated and entertained you as much as it did me. I think if there's something we can learn or take away from this conversation, it's to approach everything you do with an honest passion and joy. Whether you work in tech or finance, the hospitality industry, anything in between. Remind yourself of the greater reason that you do what you do and remember to lead and work with respect and compassion. Thank you for tuning in tonight. If you'd like to see more great conversations like this, please remember to like, comment, subscribe, and follow us on YouTube, Instagram, or LinkedIn at Upmeals. We'll see you next Wednesday evening right here on the Wellness Hub for another great conversation. I'm Drew Monroe. Until then, take care and be well.